I'm your host, Jim Maysano. This is your weekly college basketball radio show here at WVOX, 1460 AM in New Rochelle, New York. So happy to be here. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being part of the show. I'm getting nice feedback on Twitter and Facebook from people, so I know there's uh, listeners out there, and I appreciate you taking the time to tune in to our show. Looking forward to our guest tonight. Uh, at 8.15, Rachel Lenzi from the Buffalo News, paper I used to read when I was in law school. We're going to talk about the University of Buffalo, Niagara, and Canisius, since Iona is on its way up to western New York to play Niagara and Canisius. And at 8.30, Neil Adler, who covers Syracuse for Inside um, the Loadhouse. And uh, interestingly, someone sent me a message sa- saying, how come you never cover Syracuse? Voila! Here we have Neil Adler coming on the show, so I, I do listen when people communicate with me on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. All right, let's get right into the sports. We'll start with our local home team, Iona College, as we always do. Things are going really well for the Iona College Gales. They're now 18-3, and unbeaten 10-0 and in the MAC Conference. They're currently ranked number 57 in the nation in the net ranking. That's very important ranking, folks, because that's the ranking used by the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee. Experts tell me that you want to be in the 40s to get an at-large bid if you don't win your tournament. So Iona's at 57. If they can dip into the 40s, gives them two chances when their conference, the MAC conference tournament, or even if they don't win, they have a shot to get in as a large team. On the road this week, though, for Iona, it's always tough to win on the road in your conference. Iona's got some tough games coming up. Friday night, February 4th, at Canisius. We'll talk to Rachel uh, about Canisius. Sunday, February 6th, at Niagara. And then uh, following Friday, they have Siena uh, on the road as well. And that's a tough place to play. They sometimes get three, 4,000 fans at their games. So tough games coming up for Iona on the road. We'll see how they do. Yesterday, Iona had a... Tough, rugged win, 85-77 over St. Peter's. Congrats to Rick Pitino. It was his 800th win uh, as a college basketball coach. So congrats to Coach Pitino. I was very impressed with St. Peter's, I must tell you. They fought so hard every second of that game. They never quit. But Iona played great defense all game long, and they smartly grew the lead in the second half. Okay, Uh, but, but... St. Peter's kept fighting back, and they never quit, and the final score was 85-77. So, uh, interesting performance for Iona, because they had to fight every inch of the game against St. Peter's. They are tough. Only negative for Iona is St. Peter's shot 10 for 15 from the three-point line. They got 67% of the three-pointers. Ryan Myers was key off the bench with 15 points, and here's an uh, interesting stat. Nelly Jr. Joseph, the center, only played 15 minutes because of foul trouble, but he got 17 points. He was 7 for 9 from the field, 3 for 3 from the free throw line, and he got 6 rebounds. 
And I also want to note the students are more active than any game this year. They were pumped up. They made a lot of noise. Uh, they were kind of fun. It was nice to see students more lively at the game. And then last Tuesday, I only had a very strong win over Siena, 74 to 57. Again, Iona's defense was great all game. Iona held Siena to shooting 37% from the field. They forced 18 turnovers and got 11 blocks. It was a great win for Iona. They started slow offensively, but they eventually added strong offense to their strong defense and got a big win against a rival. 74 to 57. Iona beat Siena. All right. Want to go to some national stuff before Rachel calls. Kentucky. Did you see Kentucky on Saturday night? They beat Kansas 80-62. to 62. Let me tell you something, folks. Not many people beat Kansas 80-62 to 62 at Kansas. Uh, packed house, one of the toughest places to play. It was a complete blowout. In the first half, they got a 10-point lead with 11 minutes to go in the first half. They got a 15-point lead with seven minutes to go and a 20-point lead with 2.36 to go in the first half. That's Kentucky. Kentucky got a big 20-point lead. Kansas tried to get back in the second half. The closest they got was 14 points. It was um, a tough performance for Kansas, who's one of the better teams in the country. I want to point out that John Calipari is doing one of his best coaching jobs in his career. He doesn't have his all five-star players, all one-and-dones going to the NBA. I like this team better. They're older, they're more mature, and they play more like a team. Oscar Tashibe, 17 points, 14 rebounds, is a dominant player for Kentucky. He's been all year. Keon Brooks had 27 points. He's a player that came in as a big recruit, didn't do so well, but stayed for three years and is a much better player right now. Severe Wheeler, strong point guard. Kellen Grady, a nice three-point shooter, four for seven from the field. He's a transfer from Davidson. Wheeler's a transfer from Georgia. And Tashibwe's a transfer from West Virginia. How about that? John Calipari winning with transfers. And his five-star player didn't play well. Uh, was on uh, banged up. Didn't have a strong night. Kentucky is a team to watch. All right, next. National issue I want to get to. What's going on at Louisville? Chris Mack is out as coach. He was a great coach at Xavier. Won 70% of his games at Xavier. He had two good years at Louisville when he first got there. Last year, just 13-7. and seven, But this year, it's kind of been a disaster. In the games he coached, they only went... Six and eight. They lost to Furman, DePaul, and Western Kentucky early on in the year. But what really was the end for Chris Mack was that they were 10 and four on January 5th. Not too long ago, right, folks? Then they lost five out of six. So their record was down to 11 and nine. It seemed like the team was falling apart. It seemed like Chris Mack lost his players. So they paid him last week, folks, $4.8 million to leave. Not a bad deal. $4.8 million to leave Louisville. So the coach is gone, Chris Mack. It's a tough place to coach, folks. They're in the middle still with scandals with the NCAA. They don't even have a president or AD right now, acting people. Uh, I hear that Chris Mack had a combative personality that didn't play well down in Louisville. Tough place to coach because there's factions. It's all about the Cardinals out there. It's like a pro team when you coach Louisville Cardinals. It's like a pro team. It's a great arena, a great fan base. A lot of resources pumped into the program, so they'll come back. Louisville will be back when they get the right coach, but the city revolves around the program. Patino was the perfect coach there. He was like the Pied Piper. He understood how to pull the factions together, how to be a leader in the community. Chris Mack didn't want to do that. The pressure got to him. Some said he's a hard guy to deal with. 
Some said he's prickly. Some said he's very private. It just didn't work out. He lost the players. He lost the program. And now he's out for almost $5 million. Uh, who's to watch for the next coach of the Louisville Cardinals? I'm hearing Kenny Payne. Kenny Payne, former Louisville player, former Oregon and Kentucky coach over 16 years, now coaching with the New York Knicks right here in New York area. Uh, Kenny Payne, I hear, is a guy that can pull together all the factions, uh, be the leader that can unite Louisville right now. Watch that name. I hear he's going to be the next coach from my sources. Let's see how the sources do. All right, Chuck, do we have our caller? All right, let me go to the phone line and say hello to Rachel Lindsay from the Buffalo News. Rachel, how are you? Hi, Jim, how are you? So happy we, you got to come on the show. We, we uh, went back and forth on Twitter about inviting you, so great stuff. And I, I want you to know I lived in Buffalo for three years when I went to Buffalo Law School. Oh, wow. So you're familiar with Western New York then. I am, and I'm certainly f familiar with the Buffalo Bulls because I uh, – uh, I've been rooting for them, although it's funny, Rachel, when I went to Buffalo, they had just moved from Division Three up to Division One, and they were terrible. I mean, like, they never won a game my third year of law school. It was like they were something like 5-25, and 25. so there wasn't a lot of student participation with the Buffalo Bulls that year. Right, right, yeah, because it was right, late 70s, early 80s when they moved up to Division One as well, and you know, it was football also, so it took a little while for them to kind of you know, turn the program into a winner under Nate Oates there. But they're hitting a little bit of a down period right now. They lost uh, in a rematch on Friday night, of rematch of the MAC Tournament Championship game to Ohio. And I hate to say it, but that's the worst I've seen UB play in the four years I've covered them this year. Okay, so let's start there. So an up-and-down season. They're 10-8. and eight. Uh, They were expected to do much better. They came off a season where they won the regular season title, I believe, in the MAC Conference. Different MAC. You know, we're going to talk about a different MAC, M-A-A-C, later with Iona, Canisius, Niagara. This is the M-A-C, the Mid-America Conference. But they were, like, looked at as a top team in the conference again this year, 10-8. and eight. They just had two big games against Toledo and Ohio, some of the better teams in that conference, and lost both, Rachel. And lost both. And those were two games where Buffalo was supposed to prove that they belonged in that conversation, not just to be a contender for the Mid-American Conference title, but to be a contender for an NCAA tournament berth. And again, they went to the MAC championship game last season. They're one game away from making the NCAA tournament for, what, the fifth time in six years, the first time under Weitzel. They got rolled by Ohio. And then Friday night, I mean, they just they, they, weren't, making, they weren't going for second shots. They weren't playing well at the rim. You know, they, um, Ohio had a kid named Mark Sears, a guard, who just, lit them up as well, and the team was very, very inconsistent, and I had said earlier this season, during the non-conference schedule, the game against St. Bonaventure, they lost on a last-second shot. I said, that game's going to tell us a lot about UB's identity, and really, the identity they have right now is that they're, being, they're a very inconsistent team. There's talent on the team with Jonathan Williams as their three guard. They've got a Really, really good point guard in Ronaldo Sogu. They have Maceo Jack, a transfer from GW, who's the son of Felicia Leggett Jack, the women's coach at UB. They've got size inside. They've got depth inside. Now the guys are coming back from injuries and from COVID pauses. But Josh Mbala, who was supposed to be their best inside player, he's not playing inspired. And we need to see more fire from him, especially in February, where so much of what you do in that conference tournament is relies on the momentum and the consistency that you create 
in February. So you we've got a lot to figure out in a shorter amount of time. That window is going to be closing soon for them. I agree with you, Rachel. Uh, listen, they have Janethan Williams, who's averaging 18.7 points a game, is a really strong offensive player. You have um, Mabala, who's was really terrific last year. I mean, I really was impressed with both offensively, defensively, and as a rebounding kind of shot-blocking force in the middle. Um, he's having a down year, I see. Um, he's mm-hmm. averaging 15.4 rebound. Uh, no, I'm sorry. He's averaging 12.4 points a game and 8.1 rebounds. But I agree with you, and I watch him. He doesn't seem as like he's playing like last year. And Sagu is a really nice player, the point guard. Mm-hmm. But So they do have the talent to make a run in the MAC tournament, but they really got to get their act together. Absolutely. The year, I agree with you. They have the talent to make it there. It's about the mentality now. And again, the guys like Sagu, Jonathan Williams, Trayvon Fagan, Brock Bartram, they know what it takes to get to the MAC championship, to win MAC championship, to get to the NCAA tournament, to play well. They did it as a freshman. Brock Bertram was on a team. He's a six-year senior rebounding machine. If you need a defensive rebound, he's going to go in and get it no matter how hurt he is. But it also starts with Jim Weitzel as well. He's got to start rattling some cages in there and say, hey, look, guys, it's now or never. For lack of a better term, we've got to turn this around or else you're going to be going home in early March. And they don't want to do that right now. They know too well what it takes to get to that point. I agree. He does seem kind of mellow as a coach. Um, he comes after two, you know, big-time coaches now, Bobby Hurley um, at Arizona State and then Oates, who's down at Alabama. So he followed two big-time coaches. I wondered if he was ready for the job, but he had a pretty good year last year. Um, but this year's not going well. It's going to tell us a lot, I think, about uh, the coach and where the team's at. Right, and it's interesting because the first year I covered uh, UB was NATO. It was last year there. And it was the interesting dynamic of Nate and Jim was that Nate was the bad cop. He was the enforcer. He was the guy who pressed buttons, who called out players, whereas Jim was very much the good cop. said, hey, let's sit down. Let's talk about this. Let's go over here. You know, it's going to be better. And I think in roles like that, when assistants become head coaches, they have to learn to transform themselves as well. You know, they have to crack the whip sometimes. They got to be the bad guy. And I wonder sometimes if, and Jim Weitzel's able to do that. And that's not an indictment of him at all, but it is a hard transition for an assistant coach to become a head coach and have to be the enforcer. Listen, I totally agree. I see that from watching the games. Let me tell you, Rachel, it's a little depressing because I got a like a five-year free run as a Buffalo Law School graduate to root for a school that I went to that all of a sudden got really good at basketball. So I'm a little sad right now. So maybe they'll bounce back for me in the tournament. We'll see, Okay. Yeah, there's still a few weeks, so, you know, crazier things have happened. Crazier things have happened. All right, now let's go to the MAC Conference, because our Iona Gales from here in New Rochelle, New York, uh, who are playing awfully well. As you know, they uh, are having a real terrific season, the Iona Gales, with their uh, impressive 18-3 and record. They're unbeaten the MAC, and they want to go 20-0 and in the MAC. Um, so I know you know how strong Iona is. Uh, mm-hmm. I saw. I did see Niagara play when they came down to play Iona. I was impressed, actually. I thought Hammond was a really nice player uh, for them. Uh, also, a couple other guys. Uh, Citron was a pretty nice player. Uh, Niagara mm-hmm. seems to have some players. Uh, they'll probably be tougher for Iona at home. What are you thinking about Iona and Niagara? You know, I, I'm looking forward to that matchup on Sunday. As we know, it's a rematch of of a MAC uh, semifinal from last year. 
Rick Pitino comes back to Western New York as a head coach for the first time since, I think, 1983. I know people here are excited to see that as well. Again, the Niagara matchup, Niagara is a team that takes pretty good care of the basketball. One of the things that Greg Paulus prides himself on is, you know, and prides his team as having a low assist-to-turnover ratio. It's 12-11, which isn't mind-blowing, but Niagara's in the positive, and, you know, Greg Paulus continues to emphasize Take care of the ball. Be smart with it. Be patient. And Marcus Hammond is one of the, I think, one of the most dynamic scorers in the conference right now. But a lot of what he does also stems off of what Justin Roberts, the, the point guard, does as well. He's really the motor of the offense. And he and Marcus click so well. And Justin reminds me a lot of Malik Johnson, who played at Canisius. He's a you know, smaller guy. He's got a great Hoops IQ. He's very shifty, he's aggressive, but he's so smart with the basketball, and he, he runs the floor. I mean, he hit the game-winning shot against Monmouth the other day, a three-pointer that, you know, it was just one of these, it was, it was daring, but it was calculated, and it really, I think that kind of gave Niagara a little bit of momentum it needs as it enters February as well, too. Another player who I really like, like you said, is Jordan Cintron. He's a huge defensive presence for that team, you know, 30, leads in, what, like 30-some steals, and he also creates offense through his ability to pass and set up players, and so much of what offense stems off of, as we know in basketball, is defense, things like that, steals, turnovers, defensive rebounds, offensive rebounds, so much of it's about possession, and I think that's really where Jordan fits in very nicely on that team. I agree. I, I Listen, I, I, again, I was impressed. I thought Niagara was well-coached. I was in, impressed with Paulus's team. Uh, they, you know, they had won two in a row before Iona against Quinnipiac and Canisius. Then they lost Iona. Nothing to be ashamed of. Iona's the best team in the conference. And then they went and beat Manhattan. And I was thinking, looks like Niagara season's going in the right direction. And then they lost mm-hmm. three in a row to St. Peter's, Ryder, and Siena. What happened there? You know, there's one thing about, I call it the Metro to distinguish it from the Mid-American Conference. You get a lot of those close games in the Metro. You know, I, I watched some of that. Manhattan game as well, too. And, and when I covered, especially when I'm covering Metro games, I think it's going to go down the last few possessions as well. And I think we're seeing a little bit of that balance in the conference as well, too. You're seeing these games decided by one or two or three possessions. Don't see a lot of lopsided blowouts. You in don't. The, it, you, just, you just don't. And it, it's, just, it, it's a different competitive balance as well. And I mean, it's about if it goes down to the end, it's about those teams that are, are smart that take care of the basketball at the end, that know how to play defense, and teams that don't get rattled. And Niagara's got enough guys on that team, you know, who played from Marcus Hammond, for instance. You know, Justin Roberts, who's a six-year player. Sam Yorio, a transfer from South Alabama. You know, they should know at this point how to handle that pressure. And you see these veteran teams like Iona, you know, I know with Rick Pitino, he gets guys very, very prepared to play those games, to get some studying tendencies, studying play individual players, knowing how to push those buttons as well. And he also knows how to rely on experience and how to teach them how to handle the pressure. And I think that's one thing that's very important about this conference to remember in those final possession games. Again, you know, it's going to be who's just smart under that pressure. I agree, Rachel. The MAC conference is a conference of strong coaches uh, and teams that play very hard and close games. There's no question. I've been covering it pretty closely for two years since I had this radio show, and that's exactly right about this conference. So we'll see. I mean, I'm a, listen, I think Niagara's a team Iona's got to worry about at home. How's the student support at Niagara? These students, they're just coming back from, from winter break over the last couple weeks. I thought it was a shame that Canisius-Niagara, the Battle of the Bridge, Huge regional rivalry here. 
was played on a day when there were no students on campus. Classes hadn't started yet. And usually in the building for that Kenesha Niagara game, it gets wild. The kids get rowdy. They bring big cutouts of Greg Paulus and wave them up. They have T-shirt throwing contests. I mean, it's a little wacky there. It was just like, it was dead without the students. You know, they get amped up for it. Their friends go to Kenesha's. They, they know how much, the, the, how important that rivalry is. And, you know, I'm hoping, you know, knowing that Iona, you know, undefeated in, in the Metro, Rick Pitino, you know, star power coming in. I hope that brings out more people for this game, you know, on Sunday at the Gallagher Center as well, too. All right, we'll see. So let's switch now to Canisius uh, before we finish up here. So they did get a big win on January 23rd, about a week ago, against St. Mm-hmm. Peter's, who some think is the second-best team in the conference. So that was a nice win for Canisius. But other than that, they've had a pretty tough time this season. Uh, they're 7-14. and 14. They just lost two more in a row to Ryder and Monmouth. So uh, Canisius is having a tough season. I think that's fair to say. They started out 2-9. and nine. Oh. What can you tell me about them? Oh, they, they are. They, they have struggled. I, you know... I gave them, you know, I, I gave them some leeway last year because I think they played max, what, 13, 14 games. They were paused for 41 days last year because of COVID-19 protocols. And they finally appeared to get their groove back once they started the season and then lost a rider. You know, it was a 6-11 game in the Metro, and it was one of these, oh, boy. And it's like now that there's a full season here, they started out slow. They couldn't find their rhythm. You know, they, they weren't getting a lot of players involved. Malik Green had a hot start, though, but then went into COVID protocols, and you know, his numbers have dropped since then. His production and his minutes have dropped. And they're, 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 they're erratic as well, too. They won on a last-second shot against the University of Buffalo at Key Bank Center. They you know, won in overtime after another last-second shot against Florida Gulf Coast right before the holidays. And I thought, you know, hey, you know, this should give them some momentum to come in, but then they got stopped again by a COVID, by a COVID pause came back and immediately lost to Niagara. And it just, you look at Reggie Witherspoon, you could just tell the whole thing had just worn on him at that point, yeah. which was tough because, you know, they're tenacious on the court. They're a very patient offense, but production-wise, you know, Reggie's teams like to share the ball. You're going to see a lot of assists when you cover them. But sometimes that patience can be over-patient, and it can burn them, and whether it's a turnover whether it's a lost possession, whether it's an empty possession. And they're a very guard-heavy team. They like to shoot a lot of three-pointers. But especially with the guys they have inside, Scott Hitchin, who six-year senior, he's just a house inside. And Yako Fritz, who's a great inside-outside dude with six foot ten, maybe put on a little more muscle. They really need to use those guys a little more to create some more right. oomph in the paint as right. well, too. And But because they're also getting out-rebounded by opponents. I mean, I think their margin's about a minus 2.5 per game. And again, you know, initial possession, it's such a huge part of what starts your offense. That, you know, say and I own, own out-rebounds everybody, Rachel. Big. Yeah, and that's another thing they got to worry about. I mean, yeah, it's... Yeah, they've got to watch out inside. All right, Rachel, there's the music. So you're you're amazing. You're like a fountain of information about Western New York basketball. (laughs) Thank you. I've been covered for four years. I've enjoyed it. Uh, Well, thank you so much. Let's stay in touch on Twitter and keep talking about college basketball. All right. All right. Bye-bye, Rachel Lindsay from the Buffalo News. All right, folks, commercial break. We'll be right back.
Okay, folks, we are back on College Hoops Chat. I am your host, Jim Maysano. Great segment by Rachel Lindsay from Western New York on the Buffalo News. And now we're going to stay upstate New York and talk about one of the all-time great college basketball programs in the state of New York, and that would be the Syracuse Orange. And on the phone, we have Neil Adler. Neil, are you there? I'm here. How are you, Jim? Great. So another person I met on Twitter, and uh, I appreciate you coming on the show to talk about Syracuse, and I know you're very excited about the win uh, this past Saturday against Wake Forest, but it's been a bizarre season, right? Uh, you're 10-11, and 11, the Syracuse Orange, and Syracuse usually never has a record like that. Uh, I've been following Syracuse for like 40 years, and they're usually always good, either good or great. That's the Syracuse I know. Uh, we kind of have an off-season going on. What do you want to tell us? about the Syracuse Orange. Well, Jim, thanks again for having me on. I appreciate it. it it's definitely been an up-and-down year um, and an unusual year, given that, you know, um, head coach Jim Beheim has been, uh, um, he, been at the helm on the hill for 46 years now and never had a losing season. And I think the team hasn't had a losing season in over 50 years. So, you know, there's still 10 games left in the regular season. So let's see how it all plays out. But, Certainly, it's been a frustrating year. The team, um, you know, they've got a, a lot of offensive weapons. Just the, the biggest issue is that their defense just is inconsistent from game to game. And, you know, one thing I'll say, Jim, is even though Syracuse is 10 and 11, I don't think they're quite as uh, quote unquote bad as the record might indicate. They've had five losses, uh, four in the ACC, and then a loss at Georgetown. Uh, those five losses were by 18 combined points. So they're right there with a lot of pretty good teams. And if they just uh, had a couple things break their way and were able to close out some of these games, they'd be above 500 overall, above 500 in the ACC. And, you know, we might have a different narrative at this point. They also had a really tough non-conference. They finished 6-5 and five overall, and they had a rough go in the Bahamas, and they had some other challenging games. At, um, they played Villanova pretty tough but lost by 14 uh, in New York City, uh, they had a bad game against Colgate. The Raiders, you know, I think they had 18 threes and just uh, ended up blowing out Syracuse on the hill. So it, it has been an up-and-down year. Um, I, I was really encouraged by the win uh, over the weekend um, at the Carrier Dome for Syracuse. They blew out a really good Wake Forest team. And the thing that encouraged me, Jim, is that they've proven that they can score points in droves. But in this game, I think they put it all together. They, they, they obviously scored a ton, 94 points. But they also held Wake Forest uh, eight points below their overall scoring average for the season. And in the second half of that game, the, the, the Syracuse zone, which has struggled a lot this year, they held Wake Forest to 30 points. And that's saying something. So we'll see if they can carry that over to NC State on the road Wednesday. And then they got Louisville at home and some other challenging games coming up, but it was an encouraging sign. But but to get back to your original point, it's been a frustrating season for sure. But look, they do have some good wins, right? They beat Indiana in double overtime. Indiana's a very strong team. Uh, they Correct. they beat uh, Clemson. I've seen Clemson play. They have a nice squad. Um, and they beat Wake Forest. Those are three nice wins, and they've lost to really good teams. Auburn, Villanova, you know, uh, Miami, who's really strong team. Florida State's getting better. They lost to Duke. Mm -hmm. So they have, you know, losses that are against really good teams. I think the thing that, that I uh, noticed while I was preparing for the show, not just today, but uh, since I knew you were coming on the show, I've been kind of watching Syracuse closer. The loss that really got to me, which was a game they just kind of had to go out 
uh, and win was they lost to Pittsburgh on January 25th. That was a bad loss. That, that was the worst loss of the year in terms of, you know, their opponents, you know, data and metrics and all that stuff. Pittsburgh's really struggled this year. Although, to be fair to the Panthers, they have played some teams close, kind of like Syracuse has, but that, that was a bad loss. And, you know, the, their first ACC game, actually, uh, at the beginning of December, Syracuse went on the road and beat Florida State. And the Seminoles are pretty good this year and, and almost never lose at home. So that was a pretty good win. But, yeah, you're right. The, the Pittsburgh loss, uh, which piggybacked off the Duke loss, I mean, it's no, no, no shame in losing to Duke on the road. They have a, a bunch of guys that are going to play in the NBA. They're a top-10 team, although, you know, Syracuse got that game certainly got away from them. But the Pittsburgh one was really, they were just awful in that game. And, you know, Pittsburgh plays a, a slowdown uh, kind of pace and, um, they just absolutely destroyed Syracuse in the second half, but it, it was a bad loss on the road. But, you know, they they bounced back against Wake Forest. Uh, there was 23,000-plus fans in the Carrier Dome. It, there was a lot of energy, and it, it, was a, it was a really positive win all around, and I just hope that they can piggyback off that and, and get some more wins. Hey, listen, Jim, I, you know, even if they run the table – uh, the rest of the regular season, they'd be uh, tw- uh, 20 and 11 heading into the ACC tournament. I don't even know if that'd get them onto the bubble anyway, just because the ACC's down this year. Although, if they ran the table, they'd have beaten Duke and uh, UNC and some others. So, but obviously, winning 10 games in a row is, is going to be a challenge. But for me, the, the main thing is just continue to play consistently, you know, good on both ends of the floor and in both halves. And then just see if they can compile up some wins and continue to build up momentum and then take it from there. But certainly one game at a time. But the the Pittsburgh loss was a bad one. So uh, you're exactly right when I look at the analytics um, uh, from Ken Palm. I tell people, our listeners, Ken Palm uh, is a website that does tons of great data on all 358 college basketball teams. They've got um, Syracuse under adjusted efficiency for the offense is number 16 in the nation. I mean, it's pretty impressive, right. but right. they have them 226 in the nation on defense. So clearly, as you reported, right. the defense is the problem so far. It, it is. And, you know, I'm obviously, given my role, I certainly am engaging with a lot of uh, other fans and social media and in chat rooms. And, you know, they're kind of uh, the consistent theme this year, the, the presumed thought is, well, this roster makeup isn't as athletic as in previous years, isn't as quick, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that may be true. I, I do think that sometimes you see guys in the zone defense not um, getting out on shooters you know, on the perimeter as well as maybe in the past. The rotations, I think, are getting better, but there, there's certainly been some struggles. I mean, I think one other thing to point out, and, and Syracuse wasn't the only team that had to deal with this in the offseason, but given the new transfer policy by the NCAA, the, the transfer portal just exploded. And so in the offseason, prior to this year, uh, Syracuse had six guys leave the program, whether they exhausted their eligibility or just elected to move on or transferred. And then they had four guys come in. So it was a, a completely, not completely, but a significantly revamped roster. Um, so, you know, that, that, that certainly could kind of help understand why the team has struggled, particularly on defense throughout the year. But but they did play well in the zone on um, Saturday against Wake Forest. And I think the, the key for that uh, Syracuse moving forward is 
besides the consistency in the zone defense, is since they really need to outscore their opponents by and large, the two main areas that I'm always looking at is when they are in the zone defense, are they creating deflections and steals and getting out in transition when they create turnovers, which are in essence free possessions, and are they converting those into baskets? And then number two, how are they doing on the offensive glass and in picking up second-chance points? Because if they can get some freebies on in both of those areas, that, that could help them, quote-unquote, outscore their opponents. But, uh, you know, by and large, Syracuse is historically not a tremendous rebounding team both on both ends of the floor. But they do have some guys that can hit the glass pretty well. Junior center Jesse Edwards, if he can stay out of foul trouble. And, you know, Jimmy Beheim, who transferred in and is a graduate student for it, he, he really knows his way in the interior and does a good job on the boards along with Cole Swider, another transfer. But, um, you know, to get back to the point, the defense, and Jim Bayheim said it a million times, it, it's not a secret. The defense just hasn't been up to snuff consistently throughout the year. But if they can start playing like they did against Wake Forest, they can really pile up some wins, I think. I do, too. I think they could um, get a little hot uh, in the month mm-hmm. of February and kind of make their way into the NIT. But they're going to have to play way better on defense. I do think they're going to have to hit the boards better. You know, it is true. When you look at the way the team is constructed, the two Bayheim brothers, Gerard and Swider, uh, you really have a lot of really good shooters. Um, yep. But you kind of don't have drivers, slashers, you know, uh, a guy who, like, I- Iona has a guy named Beric John-Louis. And mm-hmm. Rick Pitino uses him to shut down the other team's best offensive player. It works magnificently, I have to tell you, Neil. I watch it all the time. I go to every Iona game. Um, I don't know. You know, it doesn't seem like Syracuse has that type of team. You're 110% correct, Jim. And, and by the way, talk about Iona having a great year. Rick Pitino, former Jim Beheim assistant from uh, moons ago. I'm happy for them. Um, you're 100% right. Coming into the season, Jim Beheim said this might be his best perimeter shooting team ever, and you know that remains to be seen. But between the Beheim brothers, Gerard and Swider, they have four guys that can absolutely light it up from deep. Um, that doesn't mean they all four of them do it in the same game, but they, they, they have a potent offense from the perimeter. One thing I do love seeing, and they did it against Wake Forest, is they were highly efficient from the three-point line, but they took the majority of their shots uh, inside the perimeter, and I think that just serves the team well. Uh, you know, one thing that fans love to talk about, and, and I totally understand it, Syracuse lost uh, a guy on the team from last year, Kadari Richmond, who was a freshman, played some, um, I, you know, reports where they didn't play enough as he wanted to as a freshman. It is what it is. He moved on to Seton Hall where he's had some good games, but, you know, he's not you know, crushing it every game. But, the thing with Kadari is, number one, he was excellent in the zone in terms of cutting off penetration and getting deflections and steals. And on offense, to your point, a couple minutes ago, he was fabulous at getting into the lane. And you're 100% right. Syracuse, the roster this year, just doesn't have that guy. Buddy Beheim, I'll give him credit over the last four years. I'm really happy with the way his career shaped up, and I'm happy for him because he's a really nice young man. He has evolved his game where he's not just a three-point specialist. He can get to the basket and back down smaller defenders, and he can, he can shoot really well from the mid-range. But even Buddy, he, he is not ultra-quick, and they're just not getting to the rim. They're not driving to the basket and dishing off that way like Kadari could last year. We'll see about next year. They have a freshman point guard coming in and some other nice recruits, uh, the freshman 
that'll be coming in is Kadir Copeland, who plays at the IMG Academy, and he is a pass-first point guard, ultra-athletic facilitator, and he can really get he can really get to the basket. Neil, quick comment. Two big winnable games coming up, NC State, Louisville. Let's hope they get them and get over 500. But one question as the music plays. How long will Beheim be there? Oh, i say two to three more years. Two to three more years. All right, Neil, thank you so much. Keep in touch. Keep uh, educating me about Syracuse, and uh, I look forward to talking with you further. Thanks, Jim. Take care, my friend. Thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. All right, folks, we're going to our commercial break, and then we'll be right back for the final segment of the show. College Hoops Chat. My name is Jim Maysano, the host, and I hope everybody enjoyed our last two segments uh, with Rachel Lenzi from the Buffalo News, who just did a great job telling us all about upstate New York, uh, the three big schools in uh, the Buffalo area, University of Buffalo, Niagara, and Canisius, two teams, Niagara and Canisius, to getting ready to play Iona College. And then we had Neil Adler, uh, again, a terrific job covering Syracuse, we learned about why Syracuse is having a bit of a down year at 10 and 11, but according to Neil, there's still hope that they can kind of pull the season out and get to the NIT. And as an old Big East fan and someone's watching Syracuse forever, I hope they can get a little hot and uh, make it into a postseason tournament. But talking about teams that are hot, I now have on the phone Kenny from Rye, our number one caller, who was a graduate of the Providence Friars, and his team is doing unbelievable. Kenny from Rye. Are you, like, dancing around the house over the Providence Friars? James, how are we doing? Yes, yes, yes. I think if you, you've watched the last two weeks, we're probably the hottest team in the country right now from a standpoint. Two huge wins over teams that we were not supposed to beat, particularly uh, Marquette uh, being probably the hottest team, one of the hottest teams in the country. And then prior to that, um, you know, doing a great job being away, away, you know, on the road and, you know, winning big there. So, yeah, it's been a good week, let's put it that way. And it's been probably the best week the Providence has had since, you know, Ed's first or second year when they won the Big East. He's doing a great job. This is one of his probably best coaching jobs. He's got the team 18-2 and overall. They're 8-1 and in the Big East Conference. So Ed Cooley certainly is going to be on the list for best coaching jobs in the year. He had to bring some transfers in, incorporate them into the team. But they did have a lot of guys back, too. So he kind of did a nice job of taking new players, adding them to the mix with with established players. The point guard Bynum certainly has taken major steps forward, right? Absolutely. I mean, if you if you look at it, this is kind of going back to you know our days in college, where you people came to college and stayed in college for you know four, sometimes five years if they got injured, and so that you got to know the players and they got to know themselves and who they are and everything else. So you've now got a team, Providence College is probably one of the more mature teams in the country, you know, uh, and benefiting, obviously, from the, the perspective of getting that kind of, quote-unquote, free year last year and taking advantage of that. But I will say also that the people that are on the team that have taken advantage of have all gotten better 
and the team has gotten better. And so they've worked better together. Uh, you know, we've, we've talked about this with St. John's, as you mentioned a number of times, which I, I'm, to, to some extent, somewhat surprised because I thought with a superstar backcourt and then just incorporating another few people that I don't want to say were going to be role players, but really had to play defense, you know, rebound, and then it just hasn't worked. So it's very interesting to see a team, and again, this is to Providence Benefits, that has gelled and is all in. And St. John's in the Big East has, has struggled. And you went to the game the other day or saw the game the other day. And as you mentioned on your tweet, on one of your comments, it's an NIT team versus an NCAA team. Uh, yeah, I'm impressed with Providence. All they do is win. Is it, It's certainly a team first. Nate Watson, what a big game he had against Marquette. And, uh, his uh, dunk to kind of win the game against Marquette. Uh, yesterday was all, all over the news, Kenny. Yeah, I mean, it was the highlight of the day. But from a perspective of, if you look at the overall effort, and as you mentioned, Jared Bynum and uh, you know someone coming from uh, St. Joe's, uh, we have two, two, uh, two players from that division of LaSalle and St. Joe's who have really raised their game. I mean, they came here, and the first year they both struggled. One And Bynum kind of just didn't incorporate very well as kind of expected to be the leader. And now, all of a sudden, you've got, Two guys, Crosswell and Bynum, who have just you know bought in uh, to the work ethic and the whole situation from a perspective. And there, Bynum in particular is an is an enormous uh, reason why where we are. All right, so St. John's tomorrow. Now I am shocked. I read from a, a prominent college basketball reporter that St. John's is favored tomorrow against Providence. Did you see that? Uh, I didn't see that, but uh, again, I mean. I, I, sometimes those those situations make no sense from a perspective of maybe someone's injured or out. I, I've not heard that from Providence because all I'm getting is good news tweets about the whole situation. And some people are talking about Providence being into kind of a they're playing kind of the bottom third of the Big East over the next few games, so it's an opportunity to even maybe stretch their lead out because they finish on a tough note. But um, that doesn't make any sense. But uh, again, I, I can't you know. I think you and I will, will candidly admit we were wrong on St. John's. I, I, I did not think that they were going to be where they were. I did not think they were going to struggle. I thought because the college basketball game is guard-driven, and I thought they have two of the best guards and still still think they have two of the best guards uh, in the Big East by far and in the country, that they were a team that would buy in very quickly and then you know get the job done. But, you know, it's, it's what we talked about in the beginning of the year. Sometimes you, you get – you lose a few bad games, and then you get behind, and then you're realizing, okay, we have to win so many games in the Big East, and it becomes a compounding factor, not only numerically, but also kind of mentally as well. So I watch every St. John's game this season, and I kind of sometimes don't really understand what I'm watching. Because clearly, they, they told people, I know the coaches that text friends of mine uh, were telling people they were thrilled with the transfers they got, that they didn't mind some of the players they lost because they thought they got better players in the transfer portal. Well, I will tell you, outside of one game all season, St. John's does not look like a better team than last season. Last year, Mike Anderson got Coach of the Year at the Big East. They made a big run in February, almost made the NCAA tournament. So they were a better team last year. So the, what the coaches were selling to writers, sports writers around our area, is really not true. And... I have not really seen this 40 minutes of hell, Mike Anderson back to Nolan Richardson defense that they like to talk about the St. John staff, except once. And this was last week when they beat Seton Hall at Seton Hall in that little gym they had to play in because of a scheduling snafu. But St. John's played great one night. 
They put everything together one night, and they blew out a pretty good Seton Hall team. But then they go and they lose uh, pretty solidly to Villanova uh, this on Saturday this weekend. Not that it's an embarrassment to lose to to Villanova, but the game should have been closer. They didn't seem to really ever be in the game against Villanova, so that was frustrating. So it's a weird season. But for you, a Providence fan, you have to hope that they don't show up in a home game tomorrow and play like they did against Seton Hall because then then they could beat Providence. Yeah, absolutely. If you, if you, as you say, that, that game they put it together was, was what they should be doing, and whether they're that good, but they're surely not that bad. And so the question is, you know, maybe Mike's system, and we've talked about it again, when you're incorporating this many new people in, whether that's freshmen or transfers, and this year is so unusual for so many teams that sometimes maybe you need to dumb it down a little bit, you know, from the right. perspective of you have two, you have two great guys leading your team at the point in the off-guard situation, and the other people are contributing. And so maybe you kind of just simplify the whole situation and, and get back to what you do. I, I've got to believe they looked at that tape at Seton Hall and figured, why doesn't this happen every every night? Where I agree. Playing, then turn around and All right, so tomorrow night, we're going to be on opposite sides, Kenny from Rye, but we have another caller, so let me squeeze in one more call. I'll be texting with you tomorrow night during the Providence-St. John's game. I'll talk to you tomorrow, James. Thanks. Sounds good. Thanks. All right, we have one more call. Let's squeeze the person in. Good evening. You're on College Hoops Chat. Uh, Jim, great show as always. John from Porchester. Hi, John uh, from Porchester. Uh, glad talking to you as always. Uh, good listen with uh, Rachel, Neil, and Ken uh, proceeding. Um, sticking with I or going back to Iona. Uh, I'm assuming you were at the game yesterday. There was a great, great crowd there. Uh, a lot of juice in the building. Um, I think everyone's, you know, falling in line and, and getting on board with the uh, with the Patino effect. And uh, it's great to see the uh, support that this team is finally getting. I agree. So I will tell you that in the press conferences, I don't know if you saw any of them. Uh, Coach Patino did mention he was a little frustrated a couple of times where it looked like half the seats were filled in the game, but that was not the case yesterday. Uh, in both sides. Uh, behind the basket were mostly filled. Uh, I sit behind the players' benches. That section was mostly filled. The only thing that's still frustrating is the kind of chair-backed fancy seats uh, were about (laughs) half-filled, which means the people bought those season tickets, the nicest seats in the house, but only about half of them showed up yesterday. That was a little frustrating. Yes, and I saw that too. And I and I probably sit very close to you, so I'll I'll, I'll uh, say hello to you next time I'm up there. Um, one of the things that seems to be happening, uh, which I was we're watching each uh, game, is the second half dominance for Iona. Uh, close games always first half, and then Patino figures it out, and th- their their bench is just so strong, and they wear the other teams out, and th- that's when Iona seems to come and play and get the uh, get the job done. I agree. It's funny. So I've asked that question to Coach Patino in the press conferences. Why does your team play so much better down the stretch the last five to eight minutes than other teams? Um, and I said, I asked him, do you make adjustments at halftime? And he says no. He actually says, I just reinforced what they're supposed to be doing. In the last 10 minutes of game, their defense seems to turn it up. They play better sound basketball. But the other thing he mentioned I thought was interesting, that he has players like Tyson Jolly and Elijah Joyner, veteran players, seniors, that could take over the game in crunch time. Yes, and it's amazing. Those two, I mean, we're going to have them only one year, and I'm, I'm missing them already because what, 
what what an addition to that uh, to that team and the size that they have and the way they can play and the leadership they bring it's 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 incredible so i, I and i'm sure Patino knows that he'll he'll figure out a way to replace them um the other thing i want to touch in is is the fact that now that i own is even more in the news we're seeing some uh is he leaving is he going i don't think he's going anywhere i just think it comes with the territory of uh of a coach like him and uh the fact that uh, he's on a national level and some people want to see possibly him leave but i think that he's here to stick out the uh rest of his uh time on the uh, on the contract okay i agree with you i think he is here to stay and let's see how they do in western new york as you know as a loyal iona fan sometimes they have a tough time in western new york thank you so much for the call thanks jim good to speak to you sir okay bye-bye now all right folks that's the show we'll see you next week bye-bye